0: You'll never believe what happened in school today. You learned something. No. Bobby Brown is going to do a video in our history class. Mr. and Mrs. Brown, son? Mom, he is only the deafest R&B artist in the country. Well, I'm not surprised. As loud as they play that music, I'd be deaf, too. Mom, deaf like fresh. Oh, well, at least he showers. <laughs>
1: I just wanted to let you know about my study group.
0: Oh, don't be a funny daddy. I'll be your study buddy. I'm
1: about to embark on one of the great challenges of my scientific career. This work right here is going to change history. I think this is going to be our greatest mission.
0: I don't have time to study. I'll never get into Stanford.
1: I got big plans for you tonight. I got maps. I got charts. I'm going to see you through this because my credibility is on the line.
0: It's at this point that you'll want to start taking notes.
1: Welcome to the Sitcom Study, the podcast where we contemplate the TV shows we grew up with and search for the truth and wisdom within the tropes and cliches. And Amy, you are looking fly as ever today. What are we talking about?
0: Jay, today our show is the Miggity, 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 Mac Daddy of shows because we are dealing with early 90s hip-hop, R&B guest stars in Sitcoms.
1: Yeah, there's a lot going on here. Let's just take it nice and slow. One of our major tropes that we haven't gotten to yet is the pop star guest spots. We That's have right. a whole page on our spreadsheet devoted or musician to that. Guest yeah. spot. The Beach Boys alone, Davy Jones from the Monkees alone. Some of these guys would, you know, they have a whole trope unto themselves. They yes. have a half a dozen. Guest appearances. So,
0: and we've got plenty of guys, plenty of these folks who've gone on to be
1: actors. Yes, there is a whole thing. Obviously, since the dawn of entertainment, this line between musician and actor has been kind of blurry. And as we've talked about between us many times, within this trope of Musicians appearing on sitcoms, there's a wide range of, of uses for them. And sometimes they play themselves and it's about the characters coming into the orbit of a pop star. And sometimes it's the, the musician trying to, to, you know, practice their acting chops. Yes. And so they cut play. their teeth
0: as an actor. Right. And works. so
1: they play a proper character. So there's so many different ways to attack this. But we noticed that there was a concentration of a lot of these early 90s hip-hop artists your criss-crosses your humpty humps your tupacs etc <laughs> uh You know, that that would show up in sitcoms around this time. And because we are both, as we will discuss, very much children of this early 90s time, we thought maybe we would do the opposite of what we usually do, which is to try to have a nice smattering of time periods. Yeah,
0: like across the ages of sitcomery.
1: Right. This time we're going to go full time capsule and really focus on that 1990 to 92, 93. Yeah, 1989
0: to 1992.
1: Right. So let's start there. We're about the same age, but as we talk about being just a handful of months apart in age and being in different school years... And re-
0: different parts of the country.
1: Right. Really affects our recollections of this particular time period because we were in like middle school going on high school and around I the time. I was
0: in elementary school going on middle school around this time. like right. 1989, I was in fourth grade.
1: So sometimes it almost feels like there's a generational shift between us from this literally six-month age Age difference difference. because at that time in your life it is so critical in terms of moving from and and your tastes moving from childhood to sort of normal mainstream stuff right so I'll, i'll just ask you what was your relationship with this kind of music at this time
0: kind of unaware right for the most part so the earlier ones like my like bobby brown we're gonna start in 1989 bobby brown has a guest appearance on 227 I knew about him. Like, the in this episode, the teacher keeps doing, like, my prerogative. I knew about that song. I definitely, like, got down to that song because it crossed over onto pop radio, so it was there. Belbiv DeVoe, I knew about... For later on, because Boys to Men, who I was into, they like name checked them. East Coast
1: family, baby. That's right.
0: They name check them in the ABC, BBD, right? And so that's how I learned about Belle Biv DeVoe. But that was like not something I don't think I knew. What is their famous song?
1: Which one? Belle Biv DeVoe? Yeah. Poison. Can't trust a big butt and a smile.
0: That girl is poison. Yes. So I did know that song. I guess I just didn't remember. I don't know. Uh, see, and my my poor little brain can't even recollect back to 1991. So yeah, like, and then, so we've got Bobby Brown, we've got Belle Bib we've got Digital Underground, mm-hmm. and of course, I knew about the Humpty Dance, because that was one of those ones that, like, got everybody in trouble. You know, you weren't supposed to listen to that song. And then our last one is crisscross, which I definitely knew about. Now we're so, now we're in nineteen ninety two, right? This was like solid middle school for me, wearing the clothes backwards, doing that dance in, in the dances and my middle school dances, standing in the group of girls and just getting down, you know. That's my experience. Long winded. How about you?
1: Yeah, I was very much in on this. I think Without turning this into a whole cultural studies thing, you know, I, I think about how there are these moments in American culture where the Black culture and the mainstream sort of link up and then, and then separate again. Yeah, you know? this
0: was definitely a time for that, person. Yes,
1: sure. so you think about how in the mid-'80s, I recently watched the documentary about the Thriller video, an album, and Michael Jackson was told outright... We basically only play white artists on MTV. Right. That's that's our audience, you know, Cindy Lauper, whoever else, Madonna. and so yeah, Madonna, exactly. And so we don't really have room for you. And so Michael Jackson, for whatever his his Piccadillo is, that we don't want to be totally defending him. He set about making the greatest music video the world would ever see, so that they would have no choice but. To play his music. So my point just is that mainstream music was pretty white in the 80s. And then as you start getting into the late 80s into the 90s, those rock bands start jumping the shark with the big hair and the, you know, pop music in general just starts getting a little tired. And this sort of like family-friendly hip-hop music is ready to fill that void. You know, one of the hip-hop artists that we're going to talk about not as a guest star, but as a full-on proper star is the Fresh Prince, Will Smith, right? Right. And his whole existence as a a part of this mainstream TV world, I think, is part of that transition of, you know, hip-hop and rap, which is very young to begin with, breaking into the mainstream with artists like him who are very accessible and just like i said family friendly they're easy for people of all stripes and all ages to connect to he's funny he's he's charismatic and so yeah, what what you're seeing at this time is this takeover of we're going from MTV only plays white artists to like please give us your rappers, give us your RB artists, like that's what we want. So for me, I will say one of the first, I think the first cassette tape I ever bought was the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack. <laughs> which figured Which
0: we now have the album of yes, on vinyl.
1: <laughs> and it featured front and center, the Bobby Brown single on our own in which he delivers the famous rap too hot to handle too cold to hold they call the ghostbusters and they're in control etc etc it ends with him saying found out about vigo the master of evil try to battle my boys that's not legal right (laughs) that is the challenge he throws to vigo the carpathian the villain of ghostbusters 2 (laughs) I loved this. Your song.
0: rapping skills are so. Yeah, jokes. no, don't
1: need to finish that sentence. I know what you're gonna say. Yeah, yeah. No need to. No need to, to compliment me. So yes, I absolutely loved this Bobby Brown song and everything that follows. I feel like we can get into it a little bit, you know, show by show, the different musicians. But I was very much into this for a few years until 1992. Never mind. Comes out Kurt Cobain hits the scene, and everything changes. And then, for the rest of my teenage years, I'm into the grunge rock. But from ages, you know, whatever, eleven through thirteen or so, this was very much my jam m c Hammer, Biv Devoe, all this stuff
0: all these guys that's so interesting as you talk about Nirvana and nevermind as like the you know, ok, now like white people come back in and sort of like take over MTV. Yeah, it's interesting because for me, that it, that shift wasn't as severe when, you know, Nevermind came out and, and like Smells Like Teen Spirit was definitely, a, you know, a major part of my kind of music middle school era. But so were Dr. Dre and um, Snoop Dogg and yeah. like... Yeah, and then, like Coolio, a little bit later, like I yeah, really Yeah, exactly. That loved, was a little bit later. I loved that music. That, like, you know, I guess the gangsta rap, right? right exactly. I loved that music, and I loved it right alongside, you know. Nirvana and Green Day, which was a little bit later, I got into like kind of punk and ska kind of stuff there too. So like, but that it was all one to me, it really was just like, all of this was like good music, as opposed to being like, okay, I had my time where I was hanging with the black artists. Now I have my time where I'm hanging with yeah. the white. Well, artists. and
1: To be clear, I didn't think of it in racial terms at those times it was more like this is the dancey poppy right. you know that, that kind of music uh, you know this all sounds like it comes from a synthesizer and stuff and then you get into no I want bands I want something where they're playing guitars and wailing on the drums and stuff yeah. so
0: you, well and puberty kicks in and you get angry and little white boys love rock music I don't know what to tell you yeah exactly <laughs>
1: especially the mid 90s yeah that that's where it was at and I'll just say you know famously smells like teen spirit dethroned I will always love you by Whitney Houston which had been on the top of the charts for like 27 weeks oh, or something yeah, wow. so that was considered this sort of changing of the tides even though of course like you say it's not quite that simple and then you know Snoop and Dre and all of those guys even though in a sense they're Contemporaneous. I feel like that was the response to the stuff we're going to talk about today. Right. To this yes. family-friendly, you know, oh, we're going to come on your TV sitcom and and you know. say. And we we're lines.
0: starting to see that when we get to a different world and like who crisscross the characters that right. those guys are playing, even though in the show,
1: it's funny that now it's come full circle and Snoop Dogg is like, please let me goof around in your family sitcom. Right? Why exactly. But, okay, let's start with. Did we say our lineup?
0: Well, I kind of mentioned them in the guest stars. So we've got 227, Season 5, Episode 7, Video Activity, Guest Star Bobby Brown, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Season 2, Episode 11, The Butler Did It, Guest Star, Bel Biv Drexel's Class, Season 1, Episode 17, Cruisin', Guest Stars, Digital Underground, and A Different World, Season 6, Episode 11, Original Teacher... Guest stars crisscross.
1: Yeah, so we talked about two two seven once before in our Pee Wee Herman guest star appearance. Right. Is this the same show? Like I'm looking at this thing, I don't see the same people. I thought they were in a store the last time. Well like, they I'm, had gone where's shopping. Okay, I'm I'm a little disoriented Disoriented.
0: so I think you know we talked about last time that there was this ongoing dispute like behind the scenes between Marla Gibbs and Jack A about like who's bigger billing and whatever and Jack A was getting like critical acclaim but Marla this was supposed to be her starring vehicle so yeah there was definitely some drama going on behind the scenes not sure if um, Jack A had left the show at this point but she's not I mean this is season, This is the last season, it's right. season so she's
1: Not in this at all, whether it's because she has the week off or what.
0: And the last episode, also, we didn't get any of the kids. Like, exactly. it was, this was just when we watch it with Pee Wee Herman, it was like this weird little bottle episode where the three adults had gone shopping. Yeah. And we didn't see anybody from the building and all the other cast of characters in 227 that are a normal part of the show. Well, this one, we get to see all of those people. And so, Regina King, this is, you know, a big deal for her. The episode starts and we're in her classroom. At her school, she plays the daughter on 227, and she is hearing from her teacher, who is, like, this very kind of... Whacked out
1: Yeah This teacher I would say He's pulling from The Jim Carrey School of acting But I feel like This might be even A little before that
0: Yeah but he's also Trying to do that Like stand by me Kind of thing Of like I'm such a cool teacher Yo
1: Sure But he's He is a cut up He's very yes. Wacky and silly I'm gonna reference For the second week In a row he's, Color me bad No I was gonna say He's got the fashion sense Of the guy in Beetlejuice Who's hanging Hanging from the little wire oh, in, the, in the bureaucracy office. Oh, again! Because he's got the
0: huge shoulder pads, gigantic. So I, well, I don't know blazer. what teacher is wearing like this cool of clothes. Like he has this like super trendy. Jacket blazer on. You could fit
1: two of him in this thing. And the and shirt. And it is flat.
0: And it's flat. Yeah. And the shirt underneath and it's these huge geometric shaped buttons. Like there's no way you're getting those through the holes. I just, I was like, what yeah. is going on with this guy?
1: We've never met him before as it. we who don't normally watch the show. I'm sure we have if we'd watch the show. But the impression I get is he's supposed to be like overall a nice positive character but very silly, white wacky in-your-face guy he comes into the classroom and announces that they are going to be shooting a music video for bobby brown well first he's coy about who the artist is he says you guys have to guess and then he keeps
0: going it's my prerogative and they guess everyone but him because he does it so bad they're like millie Vanilli.
1: yeah Yes, we get multiple references to Millie Vanilli here. So I was wondering, is this pre or post scandal from Millie Vanilli? Did we know that they were lip syncing? Oh, lip-syncing? I think this
0: was pre because this okay. is nineteen eighty nine.
1: So Millie Vanilli gets a lot of references. I think partially just because it's kind of fun to say, and even before their scandal, they were a little goofy. Uh, you know, kind of easy to make fun of, but. Yeah, this this teacher is like, come on, guys, you know who I'm talking about, my prerogative, and they still don't get it. So just to explain to the youngsters, Bobby Brown basically had one album, right, called Don't Be Cruel. He had more, but all of his big hits, except for the affirmation On Our Own, which is only on the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack, he had My Prerogative was probably his biggest song, And Don't Be Cruel and Every Little Step are his other big ones. And they were all on this same Don't Be Cruel album. So my prerogative is his huge song. And this teacher is singing that. They still don't get it. And so he has to tell the kids, Bobby Brown, he's the one that's coming to shoot his video in our classroom. That's right. For some reason.
0: And they... They are freaking out. They're all excited. Now, in order to be on it, they have to write an essay over the weekend about Ellis Island, which is what they're studying, 500 words. And whoever gets the top five scores in class gets to be in the video. Well, we find out later on that Bobby Brown wants the whole class in his video, so it doesn't matter. But that sets up the center conflict in the story. So the setup for this is everybody's going to go home for the weekend and try to get the best score, you know, write the best essay so they can be in the Bobby Brown video. Regina King is like, I am going to do it. That's it. I'm going to spend the whole weekend writing this essay. It's going to be amazing. And then her neighbor, Curtis, and her dad come in and they are having an argument over who's going to win the game this weekend, Howard or Morgan, right? That was Those are the two universities. universities yeah. And so... Curtis is for Morgan and the dad is for Howard. And so Curtis invites Regina King's character to go to a like a pre-party the night before the game. And she's like, it'll be fine. I have all weekend to write my essay. So she keeps going to these. She yeah. ends up going to the game.
1: Well, we should just mention before all this, she's told her mom about the the essay that oh, she has to write. She's yes. told her about this whole this. Yes. scenario. And that scene is funny just because, again, talk about time capsule. You know, this is your classic. Mom, don't you know the cool words us kids say now? You know, she comes in going. Uh, the n- dopest fr- Yeah, she goes, it's going to be deaf. And she goes, you know, I don't mean deaf like you can't hear. I mean deaf like fresh. And the mom just doesn't get it. And she's like, all right, how about cool, mom? Can we settle on cool? And it is funny how still 40 years later, cool is the one the one slang word that seems to, like, never go away. That's like, right. We can That's always right, agree on Because now
0: it's all about the riz.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so, yes, deaf, dope, whatever. We have to bridge this generation gap. And yes, this is going to be important because the mom is going to be the little Jiminy Cricket on That's the right. daughter's shoulder, always reminding her.
0: Oh, no. I thought you were going to say this is when the mom and the daughter have the conversation where the mom's like, oh, I wrote that essay when oh, right. I was in high school. Yeah. I got an A+. Yeah. Yeah. And that is like immediately my spidey senses go off. You know, we're spending tons and tons of hours at my work right now because, well, at everybody's work, but I work at a school just trying to figure out what we're doing with AI. So my spidey senses immediately went up and I was like, oh, her mom wrote an essay. Yeah, oh, her mom has the essay. She saved
1: it because she got an A+. plus." The original <laughs> AI is your parents having written the same thing. <laughs> it's your mom's essay. But so, uh, yeah, that's going to be a thing throughout the episode is uh, the the mother wanting her to get the essay done before she before she goes well, out, and the and- mom's
0: just reminding her, but. And then she procrastinates all the way to the last minute. It's three o'clock in the morning on Sunday night because she spent all weekend partying and having a good time and, you know, making that choice instead of writing the essay. And then she remembers at 3 a.m. that mom's essay is sitting here in the like little hutch that's next to the dining room she remembers it
1: while she's, you know, up at the kitchen table in the middle of the night working on her essay. The dad comes in and is like, oh, you've got like four whole hours before before, you know, before you need to have the essay finished and get ready for school and pack your lunch, blah, blah, blah. And she's just kind of freaking out. And this is my nightmare. Like, I am somebody that now I never procrastinate because I did this kind of thing when I was young and it scarred me. These kind of experiences, whether it was being a kid and not doing my homework and not being able to, like, enjoy my free time or even like as an adult having to stay up until the wee hours and, you know, being so tired tired while you're also trying to do this important thing it sucks so I was like really just gritting my teeth throughout the whole episode leading up to this you know we've sort of glossed over it but there's like four or five instances of the daughter going out doing something fun with her friend the neighbor kid and and telling the mom oh don't worry I have the whole weekend oh don't worry I have a whole day oh don't worry I have till tomorrow you know and I'm just like god just do it and then have your fun
0: (laughs) which I am the the exact opposite of that i would be just like rigida king i would go 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 and be at 3 a.m just trying to like scramble together this paper um now i've never done what she did though which was like grab the old essay oh i can't say that because that's not true i definitely have done that ooh, ooh, ooh. well but you can <laughs> this
1: whole scenario is pretty crazy the idea that the mom Wrote this paper right. When she was in school And had it this whole time
0: Well, like, okay I mean, I don't know I say I have saved Still on USB drives Somewhere Yeah, maybe
1: But it wouldn't be something Where someone would go like Oh, let me get that And just like Walk two feet over To a drawer no,
0: that was What was weird It was that the place That the mom <laughs> Keeps her high school Keepsakes Is in the hutch Next to the dining room Table yeah. And one of those Keepsakes Is Fred the frog That she dissected That sits there in a jar full of formaldehyde that every time they open up that little hutch they go Ugh, and close it really quickly I'm like no this is not you would that stuff would be like in the attic in a box under your bed I mean it would definitely not be in the dining room yeah it's <laughs> a
1: little funny how it's so handy but yeah that's what uh, Regina King does Brenda I think is her name on yeah. the show
0: so she is like all right that's it I'm taking mom's essay so she takes her mom's essay she rewrites it and that's she's going to turn in. Now that's kind of the main storyline. Well, there's a B plot, right? The teacher is also friends with this other guy who lives in the building who has quite a jerry curl. And he is a limo driver. He's trying to get his like limo business started. And the teacher is the one who's like coordinating the Bobby Brown visit for the yes. school. And so he's like, hey, man, I hooked you up, you're going to be picking up Bobby Brown at the airport and taking him to the hotel. So the guy who lives in the penthouse is uh, hears that this other guy is the, gonna drive him around in the limo and contrives to get him up there because he wants Bobby Brown to be brought to his penthouse so that he can sign him to some sort of like licensing deal yes. and have like sofas and, and, Shirts that yeah. are bobby Brown Bobby Brown hat on him,
1: the first thing he says is, I have an idea for a line of Bobby Brown fashions there right? it is. so yeah, again, we're dropping into this. we're not familiar with all these characters, but this guy, Julian, is his name he's one of the police detectives in the Terminator, the original Terminator, if you remember that movie, he's one of the guys going like, so you're saying you're from the future.' But so, yeah, you get the impression he's some kind of sort of entrepreneur type guy or just, you know, this eccentric rich guy who has all of these ideas, who's always like, oh, here's my next scheme. Here's my next thing I want to do. So, yeah, his whole thing is just get Bobby Brown here. Just get me in the room with him. Right. And I will work my magic. So we should just flag this as a subtrope of a lot of these episodes, the ones we're covering today and just in general, the idea of – the pop star sort of casting a shadow over everything and only being in the episode for a few minutes, but sort of shaking up the whole community. That everyone's got a different angle on the idea that Bobby Brown's coming to town.
0: Yes. And so the way that the guy who's driving the limo gets this to all happen is he tells Bobby Brown that he's not going to stay at the hotel, that he's reserved a penthouse for him. So he takes him over to this Julian guy's penthouse in the building and Julian's like what do you mean uh, you're staying here he's staying here and the guy's like yeah I had to get him here any way I could so that's what happens now one of the nosy neighbors the older lady Pearl Shay, played by Helen Martin she sees Bobby Brown coming into the building and going up to the penthouse and so she comes over and she tells the mom and is like oh my god Bobby Brown is here and I knew who that was because of some silly thing because she yeah, didn't really know who there's a was. running
1: joke that every time one of the kids mentions Bobby Brown the two parents go like yeah I know him Mr. and Mrs. Brown's boy
0: right, right. so she knows who he is though and then Regina hears this and they all go Running upstairs, so she's so excited. Now, at this point, the teacher has given her her essay back, and she knows she's not going to be in the video. Yeah. She got a C plus, not an A plus, and she's devastated because she thought she was a shoe in because this was an A plus essay. Well, so apparently on the way out of the class that day, she threw her essay in the trash. She was so upset that she wasn't going to be in the video. The teacher comes over to the house to return her essay and is like, hey, you know, to the mom, hey, you know, your daughter dropped this in the trash. I don't know what's going on. And the mom is like, oh, I'll read it and figure out what's happening. I can't believe she did that. So the daughter comes home, says, I'm not going to be in the video. I didn't get a good grade. And the mom's like, well, that's because you waited till the last minute. Of course, you got a C plus. You didn't. Right a good essay in that short of amount of time. And the daughter's like, no, I, it was an A plus essay, Mm," but doesn't like tell why. And so then the lady comes in and we find out Bobby Brown's in the building. So they go to go upstairs. And just as they're heading upstairs, that's when the teacher comes in. And so the mom is holding the folder with the essay as Regina runs upstairs to go meet Bobby Brown. And she was like, well, you know, maybe I'll just read it and see um, if I could help her at all or whatever and opens it up. Up and realizes that it's her own essay and comes running out and goes upstairs to go find her daughter in the penthouse who's trying to meet Bobby Brown. And then it all comes out.
1: Yeah. We should talk for a minute about just the moment when Bobby Brown himself actually arrives. Right. Because there is something about, you know, even knowing that we're watching it for that reason, you get a little starstruck when Bobby Brown Yes, they definitely build it up
0: well. You know, you don't know that he's coming in to the room, and then the guy who drives the limo, like, reaches back outside the door and is like, Mr. Brown, come this way.
1: There's also a rich history in sitcoms of having... The non-guest spot Like there's a Golden Girls episode Where the whole time Is like Like they're trying to meet Bert Baccarat Or who whoever, Right And they never and show And they never actually Show the person You know And so The whole time You know You have to kind of Take these things With a grain of salt Like is this going to be The thing Oh it's all about Getting into the KISS concert But we never get to see KISS So yeah When he comes on I do get a little bit Of like a jolt From like There he is Bobby Brown He's got his sort of Trademark Black suit And the parrot parachute pants, right? He's dressed yeah. very much like he is in the... Every Little Step video. He's got the sort of Gumby haircut, which, which get, he yeah, name checks. He
0: about. calls it the Gumby haircut. Yeah, well, yeah. because he, one, one of, of the, the yeah. ideas
1: is like uh, the this crazy rich guy is like, I want to make Gumby wigs. Or well, Gumby... yeah,
0: no, he doesn't even say Gumby wigs. He's like, we'll we'll make a brand, you know, we'll brand your hair and sell it as wigs. And then Bobby Brown says, this guy wants to make Gumby wigs.
1: Yeah. So it's very much, again, cementing it in that exact moment in time. He had this In the on our own for the Ghostbusters video that yeah, slanted flat top hair thing. Yes. And I think he holds his own more than I would expect.
0: Oh, he does. Yeah, he does a pretty good job. You can tell in that first scene where it's the three guys just in the apartment, it's almost like he's waiting to say the line and sure. he's trying to like be himself, but cool, but it's not. And then he's like, wait, ugly girls. And then he comes back. Like "Yeah."
1: a lot of times these guest appearances tend to be written in a way that's very sort of, for one easy for the non-actor you know musicians to pull off and also just sort of flattering so a lot of times it's like you get to be the straight man and just be kind of cool and everyone around you is going to be crazy and you're just going to react to them we'll give you a few easy lines to say and that's pretty much what happens here but for some reason something about bobby brown you know well first of all let me pause and ask this because i wanted i intentionally didn't look into this Bobby Brown is one of those celebrities that I can't remember if he's alive or dead. Is he alive or dead?
0: He's alive. Yeah, Bobby Brown's alive and well. And he's 54.
1: Yeah. Okay, so internet has told us he's alive and actually younger than we thought. He's only 54. But anyway, my point was gonna be just that Bobby Brown has had kind of a rough life. Of course, he's famously married to Whitney Houston, and there's all kinds of craziness there, and he had the bad boy attitude You know his big hit song Was my prerogative I'll do whatever the hell I want to do So I was just Kind of braced For like Somebody that would Kind of be like Don't tell me to Memorize a line You know Or just some Just like a little bit Of a, a train wreck And it's not that At all Oh like, he's no fine. not
0: at all He was totally fine He was you know Charming funny Did yes. all the things You wanted him to do
1: He comes in there's, there's you know A lot of stuff In this penthouse apartment Of just everyone Kind of falling over Themselves in different ways Ways to right. Bobby Brown And then yeah Like you said After we get through This and that It's it's revealed that Bobby Brown didn't want uh, To narrow it down To five kids In his music video He wanted to have The whole class there
0: And this is when Brenda gets caught Right. right, because
1: it's it's revealed that her plagiarized essay has not been updated since the 70s when it was originally written.
0: So the mom comes back up, she comes upstairs and she's like, uh, what the hell is this? You stole my essay. And then she looks at the teacher and I'll get to you in a minute about the C plus. Yeah. And Regina King is like, you know, I'm so sorry. And I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't have done it. And I know it and you know, whatever. And then, and the teacher is like, yeah, there was nothing in this essay about the last 25 years there was no nothing about immigration yes
1: she gets caught she gets a punishment that does not involve not getting to be in the video she says instead the mom says you have to write three essays about each one of the things you did wrong right one is procrastination one is plagiarism and what's the what's the last one
0: yeah one is about procrastination one is about um passing off somebody else's work as your own and the other is about honesty or something like that maybe yeah Ah, i'm trying to remember bummed i can't remember that
1: but yeah she has to write three different essays and then we get to the actual video shoot where not only has Brenda been allowed to participate in it, she somehow got, like, you know, the key featured right, role Right, of course, because
0: she is the lead of the show. So she yeah. gets to dance next to Bobby Brown and get down, and it's great.
1: The Bobby Brown video is amazing in the sense that it is very, very funny to watch. I'm going to say... This is a pretty ill-conceived concept for a video. Bobby Brown, famous bad boy of hip-hop, is uh, singing a song. I'm not familiar with this particular song, but the line he's saying is, girl, I need you by my side. It's that kind of song. Why is the concept shooting this in a classroom with a bunch of children? (laughs) like This just seems like a really bizarre match for the song. You've got all of the kids, their desks are in a big circle around the room the way you would do in a classroom if you're like we're all going to share our stories or like doing some exercise like that and he's yeah, dancing he's in still the middle pretty
0: young like i mean he would have been 20 so he would have just been like 1989 he's sort of just out of new edition like just yeah, kind of enough you know so he definitely that's his like yeah know, he's the a high young school guy kids. he's very young I mean, he looks super young in this
1: it's still like it, it's just hard i guess what you have to remembers that a lot of the music videos at this time were just like we're gonna shoot you performing the song in this setting and in this other setting and in this other setting and then we're going to cut them all together and that'll be the video. That's right. You know? And we'll
0: have like some sort of fun effects over it and like yeah. spray paint stuff on top of the screen.
1: So I guess that's the idea. Like we'll just shoot you singing and dancing in this classroom and then we'll we'll make that part of this, this larger thing. But it seems like such a bizarre concept for this video. Dancing in a classroom, you know, with like three or four teenagers dancing with you lots of running man lots of those yes, early yes but 90s i don't dances. think it's supposed
0: to be a good video i think it was just because this was the like part of the show
1: i know but th- that just to me, it opens up so many questions. If Bobby Brown is presented to us as being this sort of cool guy and you know a sort of shrewd musician, why would he do this? Why would he agree for this to be his next video? It's it's just so funny to me. Like just the, the, knowing <laughs> what you're his video. i trying to
0: put way too much logic to a. Guest just
1: knowing spot. what his videos actually were, like being familiar with the Every Little Step video, the My Prerogative right. video.
0: Instead of dancing in a classroom, they're dancing in a warehouse.
1: Yeah. I guess. So yeah, look, in terms of tracking the trope, again, you've got this idea that we're going to see repeated very closely in the next one, the making a video thing, but more generally the idea of like crossing paths, you know, that some sort of famous person or some exciting celebrity, uh, you know, comes into your orbit. And like I said, kind of shakes things up and everybody sort of has their own reaction to that. All right, let's move on to Fresh Prince of Bel-Air.
0: Season two, episode 11, The Butler Did It.
1: Yeah, so our guest stars on this one are going to be Belle Biv DeVoe. We just did Bobby Brown. So I think we need to do the public service here of breaking down New Edition and the East Coast family and the whole (laughs) complex system here right you had new edition in the 80s
0: early 80s right so (laughs) i
1: wasn't really familiar with them i sort of learned about them retroactively that was ronnie bobby ricky mike ralph and johnny right that is a lot of kids it's ronnie devoe bobby brown ricky bell mike bivens ralph tresvent johnny gill
0: Look at you. You just did he, ladies and gentlemen in NB's, he did that without notes.
1: Yeah, it's because of the song where they will reference it all the time. They go Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, Mike, Ralph, Johnny, too. But so, you
0: know their last names yes, as well.
1: Because so Bobby Brown went on to a, you know, successful career on his own. We all know him. Johnny Gill also. Uh, had a successful solo career, but not quite as as much. Right. But he was a thing. Ralph Tresvent, same thing, but but a little little lower down okay. in the fame factor. And then you got the other guys, Ronnie, Bobby, and Ricky. They were Belle Biv DeVoe. And then Belle Biv DeVoe formed the East Coast family, which was the three of them as Belle Biv DeVoe. ABC, another bad creation, which was like seven. Kids like little, children. Yes. It was like a
0: new. It was a new version of New Edition, a little bit later on. That yes. had a, a bunch and of younger. young kids. Yes. Yeah, Bobby
1: Brown was not like five. When no, he was, he was not. The and it these kids were like really young. It was
0: like young. Menudo. Like yes. right? you had you had kids that were like and, from five until thirteen. Yes, or something. and they
1: would go on to have a feud with crisscross So we'll get to them. <laughs> but so and, and, boys, to and boys to men was right. the final ingredient in the East Coast family. So. A lot going on here But BBD As we called them Belle Biv DeVoe Looking back on it now They're essentially A one hit wonder Their not big song Was Poison With
0: your BVDs Right
1: Yes Which I did not I For years I thought people Were talking about Belle Biv When they <laughs> would Mention their BVDs But yeah They had other songs Like Do Me Which yes. I used to put on In the car With my parents driving
0: But wait a minute That song Is directly referenced In this is. show
1: Oh yeah Don't think that that was lost on me.
0: Because, and I didn't know that until just this very moment. Yes. Uncle Phil and Aunt Vivian go away in this episode for a weekend and they stay in the doomy. In.
1: Yes. Do Me was the follow-up single to Poison, which was the big hit single that everyone still remembers from Belle Biv DeVoe. <laughs> so, yeah, look, all that's to say that I was definitely into the Belle Biv DeVoe movement. I remember all of this. I would put on that album that had all those super sexual songs on car trips with my parents, you know, when I was like 11, and just be like, yeah, this is what music is like. I don't know. So, of course... <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I was excited when they showed up on this Fresh Prince episode. Heck yeah. So yeah, we're going to have basically a retread of the party when the parents are away type plot.
0: But this time it's not Will.
1: No, this time Carlton has, uh, he has assumed the role of acting adult in charge because Carlton has this master plan where he says, you know, it's not about throwing a party per se. It's all profit. Yeah, we're gonna rent out our house for a music video shoot. Which I guess is a thing you could do, especially if you live in California. And uh, he says, we're going to make $5,000, it'll be pure profit, and we'll clean everything up by the time uh, our parents get home on Monday. So it is a rare reversal for Carlton to be the one with the crazy plan.
0: Right. Will is actually following the rules. He's having, like, a friend sleepover, over, and uh, that's the extent of his, you know, having people over when the parents aren't home. But yeah, so the- the video is um, happening, and he comes downstairs in the morning in his PJs, and the whole place is like enveloped in a uh, smoke machine fog. Yeah, it's a whole
1: different place,
0: and they have they have um, curtains up everywhere. These like you know sort of sheer kind of flowy curtains everywhere, and they have this big couch that's repl- in the center that's replaced the normal couch. That's like one of those Ottoman style couches, right? It's uh, it's like a poof, you know, yeah. um, and, it's spir- and it's bright red and it spirals up to the top, but it, and it has a very little place to sit. It's just more of an art piece than it is really uh, something to sit on.
1: Yeah. And I feel like until this point, we haven't revealed who the musician's gonna be, right? It's been a surprise. Yeah. Carlton just says, you know, I'm renting out the house for a video. So yeah, the the scene starts you know they start the playback they start having music and the three of them ronnie ricky and mike come strutting into the living room and start you know rapping along with their song and will and his friend todd start freaking out and jumping into the into the shot but i just want to stop for a second and talk about this song because i feel like this is the same thing that happened with the bobby brown ones when you have these acts that are like a little bit of a flash in the pan, right? Their album is already out right. by the time that they're booking these guest appearances on these on these sitcoms and stuff. So the Bobby Brown song, I don't know what song that was. That wasn't familiar to me. But this song that Belle Biv DeVoe starts singing, Gangsta, I do remember this song song and this is not on their original album poison this was like a follow-up right and the truth is they were already slipping at this time you know even though it's so soon after they hit the scene and so this song i liked it like it's already it's kind of gimmicky it has these like machine gun sounds and stuff but I I remember taking to this song and getting the single and everything, but this did not end up being like a hit on the radio or anything. And it was sort of like the last we heard from Belvedere.
0: Yeah, well, so Will and his friend come downstairs and they're trying to get into the video, and then and they're in their PJs, which is kind of adorable. Yeah, and they get kind of pushed off to the side, and the director, who's a, a working actor you'd recognize, oh, he's in a bunch of stuff. He's like, "Hey guys, you know, come on, we're." burning daylight here. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, Carlton's like, yeah, man, t- you know, have some chill. Get out of the video. And then Hillary comes down and the guys like the Belle Biv DeVoe guys, they stop and they're like, oh, Hillary, good to see you. So that messes up another take. Yeah, it's
1: the joke of like any celebrity in town probably knows Hillary. Right. She's well, this and she's like, sorry, guys,
0: I can't stay and be in the video like you asked me. I have a shoe sale. And they're like, you got to do what you got to do. And she's like, I know I should really take a vacation. And so then she leaves and And then they start again, and then the Girl Scout troop comes in. Oh, yeah. We haven't talked about that. So Ashley and her little Girl Scout troop, they've been trying to sell cookies throughout this whole episode. They come in from wherever they were, and they see what's going on, and they run and scream and hug the guys because they're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, it's these famous musicians that we like. And then they get pulled off. So that's another take ruined. And then the now we're, okay, we really got to get this done. We really got to get this done. And then Will and his friends start dancing and trying to get in the middle of the video again, like randomly instead yeah, of... Like, it's
1: very funny. We hear the first, you know, 30 seconds of this song, Gangster, like 17 times, you know, they keep playing it over and over again. And I'm going to make the same observation I did about the Bobby Brown thing. This is a bizarre concept for a video. And again, I think you just have to buy into like, oh, they just made these videos. They would shoot them performing the song in different places and cut it together. But
0: that's what this one really looks like that. The Bobby Brown one, I just kind of am like, whatever, it's not like this actually looks like it would be you know Here's the thing. they are like coming through a curtain and they're doing like the beginning of this song and then they're just kind of like playing up and to the camera and that's three it three
1: women oh yeah that's the dancers after them but it just looks so weird you have them come into this curtain and start singing the song to the camera and then behind them these three women file into the room and just lift their hands in the air and start doing that sort of generic dancing kind of thing but yeah it's just like this is like what what is this you know like what am I looking at just like three guys rapping with these three ladies just kind of randomly moving around behind them in a living room but
0: that's not what it looks like it's all covered in you know it looks like probably a, like a whorehouse more than anything else because it's got these weird lights and like everything's be more red and, and it's like smoky and they're, they're shooting them from really low like the you know the camera guy is down on his yes, knees like shooting 90s. up and so they're just I think it's just a shot you know they're just getting a few shots of them in this like you know fancy house yeah that is all kind of smoky and curtainy and stuff it
1: would be less weird to me without the ladies i think if it were just the three guys rapping i would say oh, okay it's an interesting looking locale and they're performing the song See, and
0: it would be weird <laughs> to me if there weren't ladies because they're a, not it's like a video you always have hot girls but they're in the not background.
1: doing a choreographed dance nor are they just that's hanging more out More of
0: a now thing they are just hanging out they're walking in and like oh yeah, yeah. it's a party i'm just kind of getting right. down to the i music. guess that's
1: what it's supposed to be just like a party vibe but Once no, again, they're not
0: doing like a megan the stallion like
1: Yes, this is not, this is not going to show moves. up on, you know, David Fincher or Michelle Gondry's uh, music video reel. Well, of course <laughs> like, not.
0: So anyway, so the now the video has been interrupted multiple times and we find out that all the furniture that's normally in the living room is in the backyard, even though it could have just gone somewhere else in the house. They moved it all into the backyard. And then as soon as they said that, I was like, oh, it's going to rain. Yeah. And right on cue, thunder, lightning. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Everybody there. They're done with the video shoot they all start rushing to get the furniture back in
1: well and that was a super sitcomy contrivance when the director is like all right we just have one more shot and then we'll be out of your hair and it's like wait a minute you just did like 17 takes and didn't even get that one thing that you were trying to get now you only have one more shot to do in this location like it just seems strange to me that their whole itinerary was like let's get one shot of belle biv DeVoe singing in front of this doorway <laughs> you're thinking one too more much about shot. it <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) And and then we're done.
0: Well, but also, you know, we come in in the middle of it because they had been, you know, Carlton has been awake for hours, already has his clipboard and is like
1: going around. I think that's what I didn't get. Because that part that you're saying where Will and Todd, his friend, come downstairs and everything's already underway. I was incredulous about that, too. Like, did this film crew sneak in in the middle of the night and set all this up? But I think you're right. I think we understand they slept late. And so this has been going all day. Right. So, yeah, the the thing again much like what often happens in a party while the parents are away type episode, they get the phone call, Will answers the phone Party? What does he say? Uh, oh, that's Party right. machine. Party, yeah.
0: Party palace or something like that. <laughs> and yeah, Aunt Viv's like, "Uh, what's that music? What's going on?"
1: Yeah, it's it's Uncle Phil and Aunt Viv calling from their hotel. They've been having this whole crazy b pot, like you said, with their getaway, and they're calling to say we're coming home early. We'll be there tonight instead of tomorrow.
0: And that was very nice of them to warn them. Yeah. So Will passes on this information to Carlton. They start freaking out. That's when the thunder and lightning happens, then they realize, oh my God, all the furniture's ruined. So they have to, they were going to make $5,000 $5,000 from doing this. And the guy is, you know, the director is giving him the money. So they were like, Hillary, go cash that check. Use half of the money to go buy a new couch because the couch is ruined. We'll figure out what to do with the rug and the floors and everything else.
1: And they assign Ashley to paint the walls. That's right. So yeah, that's Ashley's job. Carlton is in charge of buffing, right? This is something I remember from watching this when I was a kid where they have the buff and Carlton is going like, Let's read the manual and, you know, and and see the proper steps here. And so it starts, okay, page one, welcome to the wonderful world of buffing. And (laughs) Will is like, no, no, we don't need to read all this. Look, let's just plug it in and see what happens. And it goes and drives itself out into the swimming pool. But yeah, everybody's got their own job to do. And it's your classic Ferris Bueller type thing. We need to get the house back in shape before the parents come home.
0: Right. And it turns out that that couch is actually a $5,000 couch when you include the delivery fee, which the, you know, they have to pay because they don't have a vehicle that can deliver this giant couch. So she first comes home, Hillary first comes home with a love seat that's like half the size of the normal couch. Will Smith,
1: Will goes, I think Uncle Phil will notice when he gets up and his butt's stuck in the middle of it. Yeah, when the
0: couch is still stuck to his butt because it was a much smaller version of the couch.
1: Yeah, Ashley is still painting like, minutes before they get home. And this is something just as somebody who has tried to clean up my apartment and paint over dirty windowsills and stuff on the same day that I've got company coming over. (laughs) I can tell you, you have to...
0: Don't touch the window. (laughs) Yeah,
1: you've got to leave a few hours for the smell of wet paint to (laughs) dissipate. I'm going to
0: need to hear the story of you painting before you had company coming over. No, it
1: just... Sometimes, you know, like white painted windowsills, they get so crappy that you just go like... Like, it's easier to just slather a quick coat of white paint on this than to try to, like, clean it in any other way.
0: I have never (laughs) experienced this. You are a dirty, dirty man.
1: And so, yeah, I'm watching her do that going like, all right, not only is the paint going to be wet, but the house is going to reek of paint for hours. And the show addresses one of those concerns because phil and vivian come home and it's one of those like okay looks like you kids did a good job the house is in order and of course i immediately notice that uncle phil is leaning against against the wet paint wall wall. same right so all right they're not accounting for the fact that it's gonna smell like wet paint but uh dollars to donuts we're gonna get a paint on the back of the coat gag and that's exactly what happens that's the last little button when phil and vivian go up to bed and we see that he's still got the paint on his on his back and the
0: kids all go you get the you know you get this and i'll get that and they all run like they scatter (laughs) because they know they're gonna get caught as soon as he takes off his coat when he goes upstairs
1: exactly so look scenario is very much Standard sitcom stuff. Let's do something we're not really supposed to do while the parents are away and all the fun stuff that we didn't really talk about that happens in the hotel with Vivian and Phil. But yeah, in terms of tracking the trope, same stuff, right? It's like, we don't have as much of the anticipation because it's not revealed that Belle Biv DeVoe is going to be the musician. So we don't have all of that. Like, oh, I have all of their albums and and that kind of stuff. Right. But it's still that thing of we're shooting a video. And And they
0: get that moment of fame, right? Where the screaming girls and then the guys too are like, whoa, they're famous. So you get both of those like... Oh, celebrity moments. Yes.
1: And I think in both cases, there's a little bit of that naivete that you have to just sort of roll with of like, yeah, major recording artists shoot music videos in a random classroom in a real school or somebody's living room or something like that. Like, I guess stranger things have happened. I think they do do that. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Like I said, in both cases, the the music videos just seem strange to me. (laughs) All right. Moving on to Drexel's class.
0: Season one, because they only had the one, episode 17, Cruisin', with special guest Digital Underground.
1: Yeah, Digital Underground was not one that I was as into as these other groups. We all remember the Humpty Dance, right? Sure. It was a huge song and still has a presence in karaoke and silly situations and stuff. I knew them also from their guest appearance in the movie Nothing But Trouble, which is a terrible movie directed by Dan Aykroyd and starring Dan Aykroyd with a prosthetic penis nose. I was kind of into Drexel's class. We did watch this when I was a kid. I remember this. Well, and this.
0: this was like, I mean, again, it's one of these Fox shows. I didn't even know of its existence when we were doing research for this trope. And I was like... I was like, what's Drexel's Clash, Jay? So I look it up. Dude, starring A.J. Langer, who is um, the best friend from My yes, So-Called she's Life.
1: She's from My So-Called Life. Uh,
0: Brittany Murphy mm-hmm. from Clueless and a million and one other things as a child. And also, not in this episode, but Jason Biggs. From American Pie.
1: Oh, wow. I didn't know that. But yeah, and of course, the star of this show, the titular Mr. Drexel, is Dabney Coleman, who's another one of these guys, like, if you are 10 minutes younger than us, you have never heard of this guy. But he was <laughs> a pretty prominent actor in the in the 80s and 90s. Like, I don't know what his big thing was. Well, he
0: was in Tootsie.
1: Okay. Uh, he
0: always plays these, like businessmen that are down on their luck in some way or sort of, Bad.
1: Yeah, he. by the time that we were experiencing him, I think the movies that I know him from, he's already sort of a little bit beyond what initially made him famous. And he's always playing the stuffy or crooked guy in the suit. So yes, he's yes. in the Muppets Take Manhattan as the crooked producer that, uh, that wants to buy their Broadway show and just rips them off. And so that's where I most recognized him from.
0: There it's you too. go. No, absolutely. And so in this, he also plays that same kind Of character. The setup for this show that I now know about that I'd never heard about before today was um, he didn't pay. He had gotten involved in some scheme and he didn't pay taxes and he'd swindled some people out of money. And so his punishment isn't going to jail. It's to go teach at an understaffed school.
1: This is literally the sitcomiest sitcom premise that ever sitcomed. Like, yes. The judge sentences you to be a teacher. To be
0: a teacher. And he is a divorced dad who has sole custody of his two girls. That's played by AJ Langer and uh, Brittany Murphy. And so he is in Iowa at a school that is short staffed. And the principal is another very recognizable guy.
1: Oh, yeah, Dakin Matthews. Dakin He's Matthews. A, Beloved character actor. He's also a Broadway guy. Right,
0: We he's... saw him in Camelot just recently.
1: Yes, I've seen him in real life in the Food Emporium when I used to live <laughs> close to Times Square. He was in Rocky the Musical, I think. And yeah, he's uh, he's great in True Grit, the Coen Brothers remake. He just yeah. shows up in tons of things.
0: He's in tons of stuff. Anyway, uh, sorry, my, he's not the principal. He is another teacher mm-hmm. and he's like a foe. Like The two of them don't really get along, which is funny because they do kind of always play Play that same kind of guy. So anyway, so those are the two, the main kind of teacher characters. And then there's another teacher, there's a, an actor I didn't recognize. So this episode had this like weird feeling of a fever dream. So it starts With Jason Priestley.
1: Yes. And you realize it is a fever dream. Well, we find out that later, but we
0: don't know that.
1: Right. So, yes. Setting aside that knowledge. Yes. It begins with Jason Priestley playing a priest. Right. So... Playing a teen priest. Yes. He's on a show called Teen Priest. This is very funny. This is going to be another trope. I call it the Johnny Dakota thing. If you remember from Saved by the Bell, Johnny Dakota is a fake celebrity in, in... in the fictional world that, you know, comes to their school for whatever right. reason. And then turns out he's an asshole. And it's like, don't ever meet your heroes. You know, in real life, the celebrities are creeps. They're wor- They're the worst. Yeah. And this is very much going to be one of those types of scenarios. But yeah, talk about your 90s time capsule. This has got to be season one or two of 90210. Jason Priestley, he is young, fresh-faced. And yes, this is very much... Mocking that idea Of the teen idol Oh my god And the, god. And the girls
0: are just Watching the show The two daughters Are watching His show Teen Priest And they are just like Oh my god Oh my god I mean he is like Tiger beat To a tee Everybody's all about him And um, the dad's like Who is this guy You know whatever And then We hear about The scheme So he's got a new scheme Where they can go On a vacation They get to go On a cruise He and his girls If he. He convinces 10 suckers to... Buy a ticket to go on this cruise. He goes. I've made a shady deal with the travel agent. Yeah. He
1: says a semi-shady deal with a real estate agent. With a travel agent. Funny. Yeah.
0: Yeah. To be able to do this thing. So he has convinced nine people. He needs one more. And um, his oldest daughter, uh, Melissa, played by A. J. Langert, she dates this guy named Slash, who's an idiot and looks exactly like Anthony
1: Kiedis. Yes. Yeah, this is very of the much Red Hot Chili Peppers modeled after Anthony Anthony Kiedis from the Chili Peppers, who were around, I think. Again, we're talking yeah. early 90s, so you hadn't had that... No,
0: this is definitely Under the Bridge Downtown.
1: Yes, you like, hadn't had not. that takeover yet, where it's like the hip-hop is totally gone, and the grunge rock has completely taken over, but Chili Peppers are definitely one of the original bands of that time, and they were, yeah, they, they were absolutely, like, in the consciousness yeah. already. But
0: he was named Slash like Guns N' Roses, but looked like Anthony Kiedis, knew music right okay so he is the last sucker he's like hey i just got two weeks back pay i have four hundred dollars to go on the cruise great now they're all gonna go on the cruise so we find out that the other suckers he's suckered into this uh cruise are his fellow teachers yeah,
1: they're just the other characters of the show
0: right it's a bunch of these other like his fellow teachers and then some of his students yeah randomly like some of his students parents yeah so they're all on the cruise. And they figure out within a few minutes of being on the cruise that there's a bunch of celebrities on this cruise number 1 the digital underground is the entertainment at uh-huh. the, in the cabaret so we get this whole great scene with one of the kids from the class and um Humpty where he's like Humpty I'm, I'm your biggest fan look I even carry the nose around and he puts on the like Groucho Marx glasses and nose and um Humpty makes the joke like hey it's the you know the wrong color but you know you just got to fix yeah the tint a little bit and Tupac goes, come on, man, sign his nose. And so he signs his little humpty humpty nose and then off they go.
1: Yeah, this is basically all we're going to get in terms of the hip hop guest star acting Acting. or interacting with the characters. Yes, we're going to get a performance later. But yeah, we get, you know, again, like I said, they're written to come across as cool and nice and not give them any super hard acting challenges or anything so there's not really much to say about it but it's definitely fun seeing super young Tupac and Humpty interacting. Well and
0: this was what was so clear in this like time capsule of an episode is that nobody knew like Tupac clearly wasn't the famous one in yeah, the digital exactly. underground and nobody knew that he was this amazing actor. Yeah. Right? Like I mean we know from what was it like Poetic Justice or whatever yeah, it was called. And he went I, I he can't went confirm or to deny
1: a, a amazing actor
0: he went to a performing arts school he went to like the Fame school of la
1: juice he's in several movies yeah i'm just saying i haven't i haven't formed an opinion of his acting one way or another
0: and i mean i guess i can't say that i have either i just know that he grew up you know with Jada Pinkett Smith, right? She sure. she'll tell, She tells the story in every interview that they were, like, best friends their whole lives. But they went to this performing arts high school in uh-huh. L.A. So, like, you know, he has, like, Jamie Foxx, that same kind of performer background yeah. that's separate from his, like, gangster rap image that he tried to, that he made. Yeah. Not tried to, that he successfully made. Yeah, I made. think when you,
1: get, <laughs> when you get fatally shot in a gang situation, you can claim to have You can some, claim it, yes. I'm not trying there. to like to, yeah, to, yeah, to, to step to his cred. I'm not trying to step to his cred at all. No, I'm more gangster than Tupac. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> Obviously, we will be cutting all of that out, moving well, that's right along. fucking perfect. You should leave it in. So, uh, yeah, but you are right that Tupac is very much one of the other guys in Digital Underground. And yeah, they have this fun little scene. He sizes his nose and says like, hey, little guy, keep it cool or whatever. Yeah. And they kind of move along with the episode. And then we get... Yeah, a few scenes later when we come back from a commercial, like a full-on performance where the show and, you know, sitcoms like to do this a little bit like our John Stamos performance on TGIF a few few minutes ago. Oh, we, uh, a few minutes of content without having to write a script or, or shoot anything else. Bring it on. So, Go for it. Yeah, we get this performance of Digital Underground singing a song that is probably called No Nose Job or something along those lines. Yeah. It's all about how he doesn't want to get a nose job.
0: No, but it's all about like plastic surgery in general. He says white girls think their butts are too flat or hips are too to hips are too skinny and black girls think they think their hips are too fat and then white girls think their lips are too thin but black girls think their lips are too Big, So it's like this whole yeah. thing about...
1: Well, in the 90s was the rise of plastic surgery, yeah. nose jobs, boob jobs. Yeah. yeah,
0: and he's basically just saying, like, everyone's beautiful, stop doing that, yeah. is like the message of the song.
1: Yeah, we get the performance. This is where I started realizing I can spot a Fox show a mile away. You know, there is something about this time period, they're always shot on video, this was contemporaneous with In Living Color. And so just the fact that you would have this hip hop act, do this guest spot on the show, sort of apropos of nothing, just sort of like, hey, hey," they just walked over, you know, they were, they were hanging out with the In Living Color guys and they just walked down the hall and and stopped by this set. Like, there's just something about the overall sensibility of these Fox shows in the early 90s that is just very much its own thing.
0: Yeah. And I had no idea that this was Fox show, but I couldn't figure out why I didn't know it. And so then I was like, oh, that's why I don't know it.
1: So yeah, that's really all we're going to get from Digital Underground. The focus of the story is going to be that A.J. Langer's character Melissa is going to sort of strike up a little romance with Jason Priestley, who is playing Johnny Andreas. So again, not that different from Johnny Dakota from Saved by the Bell, but the whole thing is going to be that Drexel, who is this schemer, this con man, he's going to shift his focus to, I'm going to try to get a a photo basically like a photo for a tabloid magazine again in the 90s this was not the birth but a big ascent of this sort of supermarket tabloid culture this was a little bit before like tmz and that kind of thing and so yeah this was very much a sort of hot button idea of we're going to get a photo of jason Priestley or johnny andreas with a mystery woman on this cruise
0: yes and so he's gonna he calls uh, some tabloid to try to get money and he gets an agreement from the tabloid that he'll get $30,000 if he gets a photo of Johnny Andreas kissing the mystery woman he brought on board. Yeah. Well also on board are uh, a whole slew of what they call the Sports Digest swimsuit models. That's funny. Yep. So they were trying. He pays them. He pays like three two of them to try to corner Johnny yeah. Andreas and And get him, you know, kiss him. But then it turns out that this guy, you know, Jason Priestley's character is super into his daughter. And so he's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. But then he's like, oh, but wait a minute. Maybe I can get a picture of them kissing. So like,
1: what a shitty dad. Oh, yeah. I did not remember this as part of the premise of Drexel's class. I just thought this was another head of the class knockoff. But no, I guess the stories all revolve around the fact that this guy is like kind of an asshole and has these like criminal tendencies. Yeah. The, the thing that I just started that I wanted to focus on for a second is a j Langer because she you know we don't talk about her as much as Nicole Eggert, but she was a huge oh she's one gorgeous for me. Yes. yeah she really is just like has this sort of like Perfect. Like if if you want that kind of quote unquote girl next door sort of waspy type look, she's so. That. But she's
0: like mouse like, right? She's yes. got those tiny little features, and she's got this big hair.
1: Well, yeah. And for me, the one-two punch was. My So-Called Life on MTV and the movie The People Under the Stairs, which is this Wes Craven movie, super weird, great horror movie from the early 90s where she plays this, yeah, sort of battered child who is imprisoned by these crazy, murderous parents. And so she was just a very, you know, she loomed large for me when I was a you know young teenager as just a, a pretty celebrity girl that I liked. And so, yeah, it's just, you know tidal wave of nostalgia for her being in this role. I didn't realize, I didn't know like what she did prior to my so-called life. well
0: and they definitely have the Fox thing of like, we don't care that she's a teenager. She's going to be talking about having sex. She's going to be in her bikini. She's going to be, you know, two-timing and her dad's not going to care either. He's going to care more about like getting the pictures of her than he is his own daughter, you know, having these relations with (laughs) these two different Men.
1: And she is a Seinfeld girlfriend to AJ Langer, which I remember at that time being like, mm, I don't know about this. I think of AJ Langer as like. Isn't she too young for that? And Seinfeld being like a grown up dude that's much older.
0: Yeah, but I mean, he ended up in real life marrying somebody yeah. like 20 years younger yeah. than us, so whatever.
1: <laughs> she was one of the younger girlfriends on that, probably, but I don't yeah. think it's super scandalous. But anyway, it's all about them having this. this. This little romance where jason Priestley as as johnny whatever starts to convince her like no what i really like is a nice girl and i'm not really i'm that. from
0: minnesota yeah. and this is all just Which, this is that's all just hollywood joke,
1: too because i'm pretty sure brandon and brenda were from minnesota in oh 90210. In 90210. it's I all about that them either. moving to beverly hills but so there's a moment where he kisses her hand and i wanted to just pause on that for a second is that in the 90s or now for that matter is that still a thing unironically kissing a woman's hand. Like no, Lancelot he was. Style. I
0: mean, he was revealed that that was all an act. So I think right. that was just meant he was doing that because he was like playing. He's the, overdoing like, it, yeah. I
1: guess. But she, the character, and we, the audience, don't know that yet.
0: No, but also, I mean, look, there's this thing of like when the like Prince Charming guy comes to sweep you off your feet, and that's what he's leaning
1: into. So, okay. So I guess what I'm asking is if somebody does that, it's immediate cause for suspicion nobody is going to be doing that and actually turn out to be a good guy
0: i yeah i don't think so i mean you know what the where it might get you might get away with it but i still think it's a red flag maybe it's what they call now a beige flag is european guys
1: yeah they've got their whole their own set of rules it has that sort of roller coaster where they get close? He's he says, you know, he, uh, I'm, I'm really a nice guy or whatever. All the while, Drexel is lurking, you yeah, know, behind like a behind barrel.
0: a lawn a lounge chair. And he like every time they have a, a break in the conversation that's quiet, he like pops his head up and crawls to one lounge chair closer. He's already lost the nice camera because the, he sent one of his other students to go and get a picture earlier. Now he's got this polar camera which is gonna have a flash so I don't know how he's gonna take this picture but so yeah so Jason Priestley leans in for a kiss and he pops up from behind the lounge chair and takes a picture and she turns around and is like dad what are you doing and he's like that's your dad and it's like oh no this is how it's gonna go south and then the bodyguard runs out and starts to hang him over the edge try to shake the camera out of his hand
1: Malcolm the giant Gigantic bodyguard. He kind of looks like Rocky from Rocky Horror Picture Show, but much wider. And oh, bulkier. he reminds me of um, the guy from Coach. Oh, sure. Yeah, like that guy. Yeah, almost like a Hulk Hogan looking guy. Uh, and it, wh- anytime somebody threatens Jason Priestley or does something objectionable, he holds them over the side of the boat like he's going to throw him, throw him overboard. And that's what he does this time.
0: Right. So he doesn't want to give back the picture and he's got it tucked away. And Jason Priestley's like, you know what? It's fine. And does this whole like acting thing of like, if that's just if you guys want to keep the picture, then you do that. And I understand because it's hard, you know, life is hard and whatever. I'll just go back to my life, you know, whatever. He does this whole big dramatic thing. And so, oh, Drexel feels bad. And he's like, here you go. Just, you know, take the picture. It's fine. And he's like, ha. Jason Priestley's like, I grew up in Beverly Hills, you idiot. And then like storms off and takes the picture with him.
1: Yeah. Or no, he he
0: throws it over the edge.
1: Yeah. And he goes, Malcolm, let's get a couple of bimbos and get on the chopper. You know, so yes, just total disillusionment. So then Drexel wakes up. And realizes this was all a dream, right? He wakes up getting CPR from Dakin Matthews. And he, we...
0: well, so he jumps over to get the picture. To get the picture. Okay. And then and there's this whole hubbub. And in his dream now, it's one of the sexy swimsuit bottles giving him mouth to mouth to wake him up. And then as he wakes up, it's not. It's,
1: right, it's Dakin Matthews. You thought we were going to talk about four shows from the 90s and not get a gay panic reference what are you talking about <laughs> this is our moment of oh my god i would rather be dead that's what he says than you know get mouth to mouth from from dakin matthews that's right so we get that brief homophobic and thing now
0: he's on the couch so we have this like zoom in of the mouth to mouth kind of fading into being his coworker instead of the swimsuit model and then we zoom out and he's on his couch and there was a gas leak and the girls had been watching a show or something.
1: Yeah, but this is weird because, uh, like I said, it's revealed to be a dream, but the whole episode was a dream from the very first frames. Like right. the existence of this Jason Priestley character, this teen priest character is, fake. is a dream, which really breaks the rules that we established in our dreams episode. When you have something like this TV show, movie, or whatever, there's always a point at the beginning where, where the person the falls. Asleep. Right, you have yeah, the real moments Exactly, and then at the end you realize Oh, that point there when he nodded off in class, everything since Then was a dream But this does away with that, it's just no Everything you've seen Well, was And they fake. say
0: something, and now I don't remember what it was that they said But it was like, oh hey, you know You fell asleep before we got home Or something like that, or we had gone out And you fell asleep, and when we came home We found her like this, but yeah, the repairmen Are here now, and he like wakes up And the repairmen are Jason Priestley and Humpty Hump. Yes. And so he's like, wait, in my dream, he does the whole Wizard of Oz thing. Exactly. You were there and you were there. Yep. And then as they leave and everyone, everyone's leaving him alone, he's like, I think I need to sleep more. Wow, this was crazy. He reaches in his shirt pocket and he pulls out the Polaroid of his daughter kissing the hot priest, Jason Priestley.
1: Because Jason Priestley's character in this episode, has Freddy Krueger powers. In Nightmare on Elm Street, if you are physically touching something in your dream when you wake up, you will be holding that object, like Freddy's hat or Freddy himself. And so, that's Jason how you Priestley
0: him. has Freddy Krueger powers, or are you saying he dove into the water and got the picture and that's how I it I guess I'm
1: saying that Drexel's class as a show plays by Nightmare on Elm Street rules, where if you're holding something in your dream when you wake up, you have it. it material reality do
0: you think that this was an idea that came from aj langer in her experience Ooh, with wes craven
1: wow now you're talking i'm pretty sure this was before that but uh yeah <laughs> yeah maybe she was anticipating i don't know but yeah this scene is wild because already we're trying to calibrate like okay so it I, felt
0: like a fever dream all the way through like yes. no kidding and so when it turned out to be i was like okay whoo because this was a hell of an episode otherwise
1: well just the notion that okay initially we're in a world where Jason Priestley, the actor, does not exist. Beverly Hills 90210, the show, does not exist. He is a man named Johnny Aurora or whatever, and he's in Team Priest. (laughs) But Digital Underground, the band, does exist. Yes. Now, in the quote-unquote real world, these are just a couple plumbers. So Humpty Hump and the Digital Underground was something that Drexel made up in his dream? Or... Digital Underground really exists, and his repairman just happens to look just like Humpty Hump,
0: with the same fake glasses and nose. Yeah,
1: exactly. It boggles the mind.
0: It was um, wild.
1: Obviously, you're not supposed to think about it that seriously, but it no, is. No, it is
0: no surprise that the show lasted one season only. <laughs> yeah,
1: I will say again, the Fox Networkness of it is so clear. Just the way that. You you contrast it between the first two that we watched, and this one, it's not like those other hip-hop artists, Bobby Brown and, uh, and Belle Biv DeVoe, had a ton to do in those, but... Their presence was very much part of the story and woven in. And it's about in this episode, we're going to try to do a music video or whatever. Whereas this really did feel like, oh, we have access to Digital Underground for whatever reason. They'll agree to be on our show. Uh, You know, we need to to goose ratings a little bit. Let's get them. Like, it just feels so sort of random and haphazard, you know? Yeah, who knows? So I think this is basically later on the same year. Let's move on to a different world.
0: Season 6, Episode 11 Original Teacher featuring Chris Cross.
1: Yeah, Chris Cross is a big subject unto themselves, but a different world. This is, I think, the first time we've talked about a sitcom two weeks in a row. We right. just did them for our beauty pageants episode, but this is much later in the run, and I love the revamped opening title sequence. Oh
0: yeah, this now this is kind of the different world I remember. Yeah, right where you have Cree, whatever her last name is, as like the main girl, and Whitley and Dwayne Wayne are married now, and he's a teacher, like. Like this i was like yeah this is the this is what i remember cuz yeah. i watched it later on i guess
1: and for this season the open is this constant horizontal camera pan through these like areas where everything is painted the same color This is a technique that has come back around again. You see this in commercials and stuff where you'll have a room or a setting and everything is the exact same shade of yellow or whatever it is. And all you see are details in the shading and everything. And so the camera keeps sliding through all of these situations and you're seeing these different sets and characters And, yeah, it just totally, like, it tells you the story of them getting married and everything. And uh, it just, it, it gives you the information you need. It sets the tone in terms of the style and everything. It's really cool.
0: Yeah. Great, and so the setup for this episode is Cree, the um, uh, main character. So she came in after Lisa Bonet left. Her name's Cree Summer. She plays Freddie Brooks, and she became, like, the main character uh, after season one, when they retooled the show like we talked about last week. So she now has graduated from Hillman, and she is a teacher or, or some something like that. She works with kids, and there are these kids that are in a juvenile. Detention Program and this is They're getting like a week off Of being in juvie To come to This historical black university And get straightened out, basically, uh, and introduced to a different world of, you know, people of color than what they're used to. That's kind of the whole point of this. So everybody who's there is all the men are supposed to be, um, they're supposed to take a, a youngster and be their mentor for the week.
1: Yeah, kind of like a big brother kind of thing. Right. Now, while we're on this subject, I noticed, you know, I mentioned last time, I didn't really watch this show as a kid, but I was aware of it. It was on in syndication all the time i would see the commercials this dwayne wayne character played by kadeem hardison i knew him from the movie white men can't jump which i loved i didn't understand like the archetype that he was i remember as a kid seeing those glasses that he has his signature double lens glasses or whatever the flip-up sunglasses right and seeing that he was this sort of skinny guy I kind of thought he was like a grown up Urkel. Like I thought he was a nerd and that's what his thing was. And when I watch it now, I sort of understand like, no, this is more about like normalizing that archetype of like the educated young black man and the guy who's going to be like an activist and is just like you're saying, going to really try to obliterate those stereotypes which we ironically see quite at play in this episode. Of, oh, yeah. Uh, this is uh, so
0: interesting. Yeah. Just, I mean, look, so there's so many things here to unpack, but Bill Cosby's whole deal for a while there was like going out and speaking to black youth and being like, stop being gangbangers. You're ruining for yeah, the rest of your us. Pull your pants up. Right? He was like, and that was like his message. And And this show executive produced by him but directed and written by debbie allen Mm -hmm. is trying to say that but in a different way it's not saying pull your pants up it's saying you have a choice and like we'll be here to support you in the like educated black community if you want to choose to rise up from what it is that you're living in right now what is never addressed which is something that we very much recognize today, is there's this whole metaphor that they do about, like, there being this ceiling and even when the ceiling's taken off, the um, the little they called them, fle- they were talking about fleas in a jar, right? Mm-hmm. So the fleas in the jar don't realize that the lid has come off and so that they could jump out and be free. And that's like the parable that um, Kadeem Harrison's character tells the two youths that he's trying to help rehabilitate and that's like the thing that eventually helps them realize that they they have different choices, right? So the line that this is trying to walk is is that, right? And then what it doesn't acknowledge though, which is something that today's, you know, in today's world we talk about all the time, that even when you think that lid is off right even when it's like yes we live in america land of opportunity whatever whatever generational poverty and entrenched bias will hold people back no matter what and and the generational poverty and trauma is is a thing
1: yeah this is exactly this is not coming at this from the angle of white privilege and all of the the ways that poverty and lack of opportunity will deny people certain paths in life, this is coming from the point of view of, uh, in the 90s, there was this term super predator that was thrown around. Right. you remember that? yeah? Where even Bill Clinton, who is considered this, you know, uh, relatively liberal politician, was like sort of famously wrapped up in this, right? Like this notion that there is a new breed of young, urban psychopaths that are going to kill us all you know and this is the kind of thinking that led to stop and frisk this is you know just this well
0: it was because they're children of crack right and so they were born high and they'll their brains won't develop that was the thinking
1: and it is it is born out of the you know, real statistics that crime was on the rise throughout the eighties and into the nineties, and there were you know safety issues in cities and stuff. But then it just it just got totally sort of blown out of proportion and turned into this spectacle. Right. It was
0: it was used as like a straw man to make white people who lived in white suburbs be scared.
1: Yeah, exactly. Not to mention, yes, all of the different changes in policing and all all kinds of uh, implications and consequences. Consequences for this kind of thinking. And so, just like you said, it is fascinating to see a show which, in so many ways, has its head and its heart in the right place and is showing all of these positive role models and breaking down stereotypes and everything, and at the same time is still caught up in the moral panic of the early 90s, or this, this sense of like we may all be terrorized by these psychopathic youths.
0: Well, and it's gangs, right? They yes. really are trying to show. So the beef, so like the two kids, obviously it's Chris Cross, Chris Kelly, and Chris Smith, who are the two kids from Chris Cross. They are the two that uh, Dwayne Wayne gets stuck with in in the end, right? Because everybody's supposed to have one kid that they're mentoring, right. but then there was an extra kid who got thrown in at the last second. And so they were like, well, one of you lucky teachers gets to have two that you're they mentoring. Because they have a
1: beef. The two of them are the only two that get to talk out of these six yes. or seven kids and, and they immediately... realize
0: yeah and they realize that they're both from the opposite sides like one's from the 220 they're like made-up gangs but here's the thing. and one's from like cambridge or whatever and so they're like it's... these are our made-up gangs that we are like <laughs> it's... our territory your territory and yeah. we hate each other
1: yeah it's the 220 and coolidge but at first i don't think that's what sets them off at first they realize that in like their second confrontation in the classroom i think at first it's like they're wearing the same hat or something and he's like oh "Oh, you cop in my style that's right it's like they're just at odds because of everything yeah and so yeah these these two kids now let's just talk about Crisscross for a second Now if there is any Hip-hop artist That cements you In a particular point in time It is And will make you Jump jump Well yeah I mean look Not only can you tell What year it is From the fact that They have any relevance In culture But because they're Going through puberty Right before our eyes Right
0: Okay so They are our age They were born in 1979 A little bit earlier Than you and I were But like They would have been In the same grade as you
1: Okay So, when they did Jump Jump, right? The Mac Dad will make you jump, jump, Crisscross will make you. They were kids. Like you could see, they were visibly younger than they are in this episode, which I'm guessing was shot. This is 92.
0: I was going to say, this is 92. So they were not that much older. That's what I'm (laughs) saying. They
1: are at a point where with every passing month, you are seeing changes in them. Right. So yeah, I can tell watching this because I remember this happening in real life. Jump Jump came out. Then their follow-up single, I Missed the Bus, not quite the same chart topper. (laughs) Their next single... Did not exist. No, <laughs> that was
0: this one, okay. which is they sing at the end. It's called It's a Shame. Yeah, fair yeah.
1: enough. They had a very brief window of popularity. Like I said, I think they were a little bit of a response to Another Bad Creation. I which was in was seventh the grade. Kids. <laughs> and yeah, they, like I said, one album... If that, and the fact that you could see them being just a little bit like older and brawnier, you know, than they were in those original music videos. It's like you could pinpoint to the week when this was made.
0: Because they're growing up so quickly right before our eyes. So yeah, so they are like baby gangbangers. We find out kind of early on that they both ended up in juvie because they were riding with their cousins and their cousins were committing some types of crimes and they were left in the car because they were the young ones and they ended up getting caught. Everybody got caught and they ended up in jail too, because they were along for the ride, which is a normal story. Like that is exactly how many, many, many people our age who are not of the same skin color ended up in jail in the first place way back when we were kids yeah. and it and so it i was like whoa whoa just to think about the time and think about them being our age and all of that i was like wow so that's their story. And they kind of share that that moment. But then they immediately are like, well, they find out that the other one comes from the other side of the neighborhood, and they don't like that side of the neighborhood, or they're from the other territory. And they they immediately are like, well, your homies killed my cousin. Yeah, well, your cousins tried to shoot my brother. And so I'm going to kill you. I'm going to come back here with a gun tomorrow. I don't know. And they're just like at each other. I mean, they're ready to fight. And so Dwayne Wayne tries to separate them. He's trying to get them to focus on their project for the week which is they have to do a presentation about uh, some historical black figure by he the suggests end of the
1: jackie robinson and one of them says who's she
0: right and so he's like oh my gosh and so then he tells them about um a famous black inventor yes. garrett garrett morgan a.
1: Morgan. Mm-hmm. morgan
0: yeah garrett morgan who invented the traffic light and a bunch of other things gas masks and stuff and they tease him about that the whole time because yeah. well, they're like not them... interested in that
1: yeah chris smith Wants to do the report on Steven Seagal. That's you know right. he's more into movies, but they love Steven Seagal, which just again bring on the early '90s time capsule stuff. Not Schwarzenegger, not Sylvester Stallone, Steven Seagal
0: specifically. That's right. So yeah, they they are kind of um, showing their distaste for anything that is. Like upwardly mobile Black culture. They're like, no, not interested, only interested in what is kind of in my face on the day-to-day basis, like, like Steven Seagal, yeah? And then the other one is like, oh, if I could be anything, later on, he's like, well, I'd be the garbage man, because the garbage man can block traffic for as long as he wants. And, like, that's what his dream is, is just to, like, have so much power that nobody can get by me in the street until I say so, and just like the garbage man. And so that is is kind of the the beginning of them like beefing and not being able to get along right away and then the next day Dwayne Wayne says all right I'm going to get some of the other teachers to come in and try to, you know, talk to you. And so he gets, I think it's like the, the cafeteria guy, the guy who runs like the diner. And then the other guy who always wears the military uniform. And I forget what his, I think he's a teacher at the school too. So they come and they've written this rap and they show up and they look like Flava Flav. They're
1: Flav and Humpty, right? That's what I took it to be. One of them is like Flav and the other one's like Humpty Hum.
0: But one of them has their clothes turned around backwards, which is like a crisscross thing, right? So they come in and they have this whole rap and they're trying to perform it and say like, you know, you think you have beef and all this stuff. And it goes, it is great.
1: Yes, it is ridiculous, but great. Yeah, and that doesn't impress them right and then we get the second guy who this is where i started really writing down like okay this is super predator bullshit where he starts talking about like i went to nam i've had to kill i've had my friends killed i didn't think i would come home to worry about getting shot on the street i didn't think that every kid would know how to fire an ak-47 before they learned how to ride a bicycle you know like we're getting this thing of like oh my god our country is falling apart because the children of today are murderous gangbangers.
0: Yeah, or or just they feel like that's the only thing they can be, right? So then Dwayne Wayne is like, "All right, well, this isn't this hasn't made an impact either. I'm going to go to their homes."
1: Yes. Now we should also say uh, they start throwing around the term "OG," right? right? Original gangster, and it's funny because this is around when that. Got popularized, right? Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Ice T is the original gangster. Is right? that is that true? I think that that was a song of his, and that he coined that. He was
0: the OG. I, I maybe
1: I didn't confirm that. I may be wrong, but that's kind of what I think, which would have been in early 90s. So that's just funny to me because you talk about the slang terms that have survived versus the ones that have fallen by the wayside. Now you know. I'm, four-year-old girl knows what you mean if you say, oh, no, show me the OG blues clues. You know, they'll understand that. So it's just kind of funny that at this time, all of these people at this historically black university are going, Original gangster what, what is that? What, what is, is that, that term? It's just funny The way that That's part of the sort of Moral panic element To this right This older guy Going like Gangster Like you don't You don't want to be a gangster Why would you celebrate that? But so yeah Regardless We get the thing That I feel like happens All the time On TV shows And never in real life The teacher Coming to your house
0: That's right And so he goes to We don't see him go To Chris Smith's house We see him go to Chris Kelly. Ellie's house apartment, and the dad answers the door, and so and the dad's like, you he's know, named Loco. Oh yeah, he's named Loco. Whitley's there. This is the uh, the only kind of well, the main appearance that we get of Jasmine Guy in this episode. Yeah,
1: she's kind of off to the side here and there.
0: Yes, and but what we do get of her, she has just taken this caricature of a Southern Belle debutante girl and just elevated it like she is every little movement motion word she says is so I mean it's almost like musical in the the, like this character that she's created it really is wonderful to watch even in these little snippets it's like man that's good she's good and then you just gotta go right back into the show but like she's so good that it like takes me a second that I have to like I just look at her and I'm just listening to her and not really like in the show for a minute. Cause she's like, good anyway. So he's at the dad's apartment. He's at the kid's apartment and the dad is like basically telling him to fuck off.
1: Oh yeah. Well, the dad says straight up, like I instill the fear of God in my son. He knows that if he gets beat up, out in the world, I'm gonna beat him up at home. Like, right. he has to be a tough, strong guy and is not receptive at all to anything that Dwayne uh, says.
0: Yeah. And then it devolves into them like coming to blows, right? Yeah. So the dad is like, you know, Dwayne keeps pushing, keeps pushing and being like, you know, come on, you. Do you want your kid to end up in juvie forever? Do you want your kid to end up dead? Do you want your kid to be a gang banger? And the dad just like reaches in his waistband and is like, yeah, you know, and you know what? Get the hell out of here, basically. And so then they start pushing each other and the kid comes out and and sees this all. And the dad is like, why don't you run along out of here and I'll show my son who a real man is. Which one do you think he's going to, you know, look up to after this? And Dwayne nods and leaves.
1: Yeah. And again, this is where it sort of crystallized for me what this Dwayne Wayne character was really supposed to represent that, you know, this it's not about him being a, a grown up nerd. It is very much like yeah he is this modern enlightened educated young black man that's supposed to be like the answer to this kind of caricature Right, like
0: when Kanye first came out and was like I don't need to slouch my pants kind of a thing like this is that same sort of I'm still cool but I'm really smart and I don't yeah. like I don't have to be you know gangster to exactly. have cred Um, hopefully Dwayne Wayne didn't go the way yeah, of I was just
1: gonna say like, Kanye was nothing but smooth sailing from from then on so yeah back at school Dwayne sits them down and you know he he asks them straight up like if you had a gun would you kill him you know he's talking to little crisscross kids and they both say like yes if i had the means i would murder him right
0: Yeah. And he's very surprised that the kids show up the next day, especially Chris Kelly after that, like, confrontation with his dad. He just figured he wouldn't show up and that would be that.
1: Yeah, they have more of this like like we said the, the he kind of gets at their aspirations, uh the one kid says, "Well, I guess if I could be anything, I'd be a movie star." The other kid says his garbage collector thing of, "Oh, the garbage truck gets to stop all of the, uh, you know, all the cars behind it." And he he gives them the parable of the fleas, you know, right. like you alluded to earlier. It's the same kind of thing with like the elephant doesn't realize he's not tied to the stick anymore, that idea that like your limitations are just in your mind and there were two fleas that were stuck in a jar but then they took off the lid but they never knew that the lid wasn't there anymore and they could go wherever they wanted and just like you said it's it's just funny how times change and attitudes change and it's like at this point in time we felt like, you know, young black kids needed to hear that they didn't need to be gangbangers, that they could go on and do anything we want. And now the feeling is that the the rest of society needs to hear, there's a reason why so many of those kids turned out to be gangbangers. And it's not as easy as you think. And maybe that lid that you thought had been pulled off was actually there and you didn't know it was there.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So they don't ever decide to do a presentation about a historical black figure, but we go to commercial and then we come back and every, you know, everybody's doing their presentations and we get the, we get Chris cross and they're decked out in what kind of look like oversized prison uniforms. Yes, they look
1: like they're dressed in, yeah, in prison outfits. They're
0: the gray ones, not the orange ones. Yeah.
1: I feel like, I don't know, this was a thing in like music videos and stuff yeah, a lot of times. Even like in the world.
0: Right, but they didn't, it was like, it was all like the monotone, like all the one color, right? We should
1: say in general, in this video, their clothing is... Ludicrous! Like they are wearing the clothes of seven people between the two of them at any given time. Oh yes,
0: absolutely. And they're doing that thing. You know how um, there's always in like '90s examples of gangsters. There's always the one person wearing the shirt that's only buttoned at the top, the top but then button. the the rest of it's open. It's like a flannel yeah. that's only buttoned with the top yes, button. Yes, they
1: love that. That's
0: look. always like I just, to me that is like so dangerous. Minds like that's yeah. just every. Oh, this whole <laughs> episode,
1: Dangerous Minds was adapted into this episode. I'm <laughs> surprised episode, it's not yeah. credited in the screenplay. But yeah, and they just yeah, it always looks like a pile of clothing with one of their heads sticking, sticking up. Sticking out them. of but it. Anyway. Well
0: anyway, so so anyway, so their their presentation is this song yeah um where they are rapping together about it's a shame
1: yeah so we get a full-on i think more so than any of the others yes we get a full song the whole verses we get them you know they're on top of these cafeteria table type things so it almost looks like a runway right
0: they've built this like stage that has like a protrusion um coming out like a runway you know like you would have for a fashion show or something or a beauty pageant. Maybe it's been there since uh Miss Hillman. Yeah. The the at last episode we watched in season one. We get a quick Jada Pinkett in the audience oh, and I she didn't that. she's like grooving in the background because she's in the show at this point. Um, but she's not really in this episode. Only at the end she comes up and starts dancing with them, and so does Whitley and a bunch of the other characters. They get up and they start dancing with them at the end, toward the end of their song.
1: Yeah, it's funny the different sensibilities because again if this were Fox, you would you wouldn't be able to hear the song by the I end. Mean, this would be like the Beatles at Shea Stadium. Right, the it would be so whereas with this, I'm like, God studio audience, give it up a little. Like they do this whole Is song. Is there a studio audience? Well, fake audience, whatever, we're hearing laughter and stuff. It, it just, yeah. you know, there was no, like, reaction to this. There was no applause or anything. Like, I actually felt a little awkward at the way that there was no sort of, like, audience energy, the way that a lot of times with these guest appearances, that's part of it. You yeah. know, if you perform a song on a sitcom set, you get people kind of jived up a little bit.
0: So then we see the dad that he had yeah. the previous altercation with, the dad Dad comes in and has his hand inside his shirt and jacket like on his chest like it's supposed to make us right. think like oh he's got a gun or whatever and he's in here he with came his to gun.
1: assassinate his child <laughs> or
0: uh, the teacher right yeah. so he's got he's got his hand inside his you know chest inside of his shirt and jacket and whatever and he's walking through the crowd walking through the crowd he gets over to um, the side like where the teacher is standing where Dwayne Wayne is standing and then the song is over and Crisscross comes over and they're like hey and the dad pulls out from his breast area a jar mm-hmm. with no lid and he hands it to Dwayne and the kids are like see it doesn't have a lid get it you're the OT
1: the original teacher
0: and that's the end of the episode
1: <laughs> yeah yeah he got through to them he,
0: he scared him straight but didn't have to scare him yeah
1: again much he
0: acknowledged
1: him straight much like <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Minds I love how Chris Cross is credited as Mac Daddy and Daddy Mac. That's right. In the credits, they were not. Initiating their, you know, Dwayne the Rock Johnson transition yet, you know, she they're still in like Lady Gaga mode, just as their, <laughs> as their personas. But yeah, look, in a lot of ways, this was a diversion, obviously, because in the first three episodes, there the pop stars are playing themselves, and it's all about, you know, regardless of how organically it's it's woven in, it's about them. You know the characters being
0: celebrities, right? Yes.
1: Exactly, and the characters experiencing them as musicians. In this case, we're getting like no, it's it's this weird hybrid because it's like we're going to try out these kids as actors, and they did pretty well. They yeah, and in a sense, it's the best of both worlds, I guess, because you get to see them inhabit these f- these fictional characters, but then you also get your fun crisscross song at the end so yeah it's funny how looking back over these in some ways they're different you know like the first two are clearly of a piece because we get that fun let's let's shoot a music video
0: right they're gonna oh they're gonna do a music video in my house in my school whatever
1: right and by the time we're at the end it's a whole different thing with we've got the rap artists playing these juvenile delinquents and yet they all have that super specific time capsule thing and they all have, yeah, the different ways that, you know, uh, hip hop and black culture are like making their way into the mainstream and how is, how are the mainstream forces reacting to that and everything like it's, it's again, it's just very much like 1992 you know, distilled into sitcom form.
0: Absolutely. So I am hard-pressed to choose a favorite because I enjoyed this lineup so much there was like you said at the beginning there is this sort of um, excitement when you know there's going to be a guest star and then of course in Drexel's class we got the surprise extra guest star of Jason Priestley Mm -hmm. so it was just it was like every one of these episodes was teed up for when is the performance when is the guest star going to arrive when is the like when is the next shoe going to drop they all had that and so I enjoyed every single one of them for that reason I really had a fun time with Drexel's class because it was totally new to me and I love when we come across a show like that that you especially ones that you've watched before that yeah. I'm unaware of because I just I love I love being like watching your glee and knowing about stuff that I'm like discovering for the first time and um yeah it was really fun to dip into this later a different world right after watching that season one episode I that 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 was nice. Like we don't ever do that. So that was really fun. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't say enough about this uh, this lineup. I'm so excited because when we were researching this lineup, we realized that we needed to narrow it just to like 89 to 92 because there are so many instances. Yeah, and so we have a whole other show that's just 93 to 96.
1: Oh yeah, we haven't even talked about MC Hammer showing up on Martin.
0: Oh my God, Martin alone has like 47 different acts that do a cameo. Sister,
1: Sister, Naughty
0: by Nature is in Living. There's a Pete and Pete episode with LL Cool J. Like, I'm so excited about the next version of this now.
1: Yeah, for me... The first two, I think, are really the sort of like chef's kiss, perfect sitcomy stuff. You know, I love the sort of semi-awkward integration of the pop star. You know, you're going to have Bobby Brown trying to make conversation with, you know, 16-year-old Regina King. Like, I love all that stuff. And again, the Fresh Prince having that sort of Ferris Bueller-type plot and everything, that is all great. And then, yeah, Drexel is fun, but it's just so fuck. You know, by foxy, I don't mean sexy. I mean, Fox, the network, just having that... Again, Early
0: 90s Fox. Yes. Nest.
1: Shot on video, the story being kind of disjointed and random, the whole sensibility being kind of rude and problematic. Like, yes, you know, love it or hate it. It just, it, and it is And I normally
0: don't love those, but I really had a fun time with that one. Yeah.
1: And again, Different World is fun because just watching Crisscross is just hysterical and super nostalgic. But it is like sort of vaguely disturbing for the reasons that we said having that show that really is such a sort of bastion of like uh, representation and like a, a good portrayal of black characters and a good outlet for black writers and performers and everything. Having it take that sort of condescending sort of semi ignorant attitude about these gang warfares and super predators and everything, like it just it it kind of gave me a little bit of a queasy feeling, yeah. Know? I
0: mean, look, it felt dated to me in certain ways, but I think what i what it made me think about, though, is just the difference thirty years makes, yeah, you know, because when we talk about generational poverty and generational trauma and that kind of stuff, this is 30 years before. So this is two generations before. And they may be like, maybe at that time, only two generations away from like the redlining and the, the, you know, and all of this stuff that kind of caused that to begin with. Right. And so it was just really interesting to see that in that time uh, or looking at that as a time capsule and yeah. then being like oh okay not that like we might not exactly say those things in those ways anymore but that's what 30 years does
1: yeah but it just it yeah it, it bugs me to think like this is this probably reinforced stereotypes for me at that oh age. definitely growing yep. up in a community where, yeah, there were like three black kids in my school, right. you know, and seeing this, uh, yeah, despite you know, Kareem Hardison's character and everything, having you know, having all of those alternative representations, this, I, I probably took away subconsciously from this, you know. Yeah, I was definitely just...
0: speaking to white people in a way that it would like the message maybe wouldn't have landed in the same way that they would have wanted to.
1: Yeah, that's why with. Bobby Brown and BBD, it's nothing but good times and, you know, fancy moves. There you go. That's where I want to live. All right. So much for our early 90s hip hop guest stars. What are we talking about next week?
0: Next week, Jay, I'd like to ask you to go to the Sadie Hawkins dance with me. We are watching The Donna Reed Show, season four, episode 37, The Man in the Mask. Punky Brewster, season three, episode 16, This Spud's for You. Parker Lewis Can't Lose, season one, episode six, gag dance and strangers with candy season one episode five bogey nights
1: yep next week is sadie hawkins day if you don't know what that means we'll tell you all about it and until then we will consider this segment of the sitcom study concluded Thank you for listening to The Sitcom Study. Tell us what you think or share your own TV tropes and topic ideas by sending a self-addressed stamped email to sitcomstudypodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you like the show, consider leaving a rating or review on your podcast app. It helps us boost those precious Nielsen ratings. The Sitcom Study is recorded in front of a live studio dog.